Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel overchurched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Hi, I'm Tiffany, and I'm going to be reading the scripture for today. Um, Bear with me, I have not read out loud from a Bible in many, many years. (laughs) I'll be reading from Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. One day, Peter. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the um, at the hour of the prayer, at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. People would lay lay him daily at the gate of the temple called Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw the when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked instantly at him, and as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have for you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with him. Walking and leaping and praising God, all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement of what had happened to him. Well, good morning. My name is Erin James Brown. I serve as the interim site pastor here at Urban Village Church Edgewater. I'm so glad you're here. Let's pray. Church, I invite you to uh, take your hands and extend them out. We're doing in the month of June body prayer, opening up our um, sermon time each week, invoking our bodies as a form of our prayer. And so we stretch out our fingers a little bit wider, feeling maybe a little bit itchy on our palms because the skin is so taut. And you can relax your eyes, find them resting on a fixed spot, or you can close them. And we pray. God, there is a world that needs to hear the truth the truth that you, God, are not finished, that there is still work to be done, and that you, God, are proud of the world you have created. And so, God, we offer our lives, 
our hands and our feet and our mouths and our bodies to you, asking that you, God, use us to share with a world that desperately needs to hear that you are our God. And church, now I invite you to take your hands and place them over your heart. This is a posture of devotion. There are so many things in this world, God, that clamor for our attention, for our minds, for all that we are. But we belong to no one else, God. We are your people, and you are our God. We are yours. We are yours. We are yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Just a quick reminder after this, we're going to, some of us are going to a queer icon creation workshop. If you want to go, it's on the south side of town. You can catch a ride with me and I'll give you a ride back. Also, a reminder next week. Uh, is the official Pride Sunday. We're having a shorter version of worship. We will still be here at 10.30, but we'll also have our Suns Out, Guns Out t-shirts on. We'll maybe showing a little bit of midriff because uh, our uh, everybody's got a summer body if you've got a body and it's summer outside. So we're going out to... <laughs> We're going out to march in the Pride Parade together, and you are welcome. There is also a float. If you don't want to march the whole way or don't feel like you can, we can reserve space on that float for you as well. We just need to know that you want to attend. Um, we'll have sunscreen. We'll have water bottles. And we're going out to tell this people of our city that God is proud of the people God has created, the queer, the, the gender nonconforming, and even the straight people. But we're going out to share it with the world. So come and join us next week. A shorter service, and then we'll all hop on the red line, make it down to the Pride Parade, join our UBC siblings as we march. And now... Acts 3. Peter and John make their way to prayer. The Spirit had whipped up a frenzy. People were living in committed relationship to one another, moved by this Jesus event. Jesus event simply means his life, death, and resurrection. But Peter still remembers, still hears those whispers in the back of his mind. The denials of Jesus he made late in the evening over fires and in back alleys, when his faith was shaken most, when he feared a gruesome death similar to the one he had witnessed of his teacher, Peter could not hold it together. How was he to help consolidate and build a movement of people following this spirit of God now? And so John stood next to him. John being one of the most compassionate disciples, now called apostles. John, the one whom Jesus loved, they would later call him. John seems to understand that Peter needs a friend, a warm face without judgment or criticism. John made himself the daily companion of Peter without even asking if Peter needed a daily companion or friend just because he knows that's what community does. We show up. So moving throughout the city, Peter is still consumed with thoughts of self-doubt and his concern that will they be able to pull this church thing, Jesus life event post-movement off? Where could God be moving next and how will they tell the story and who will believe them? 
In the middle of the day, they're prepared to pray, to seek more clarification and direction. Dear God, just tell us what to do next. And consumed with haunts of the past and fear of the unknown future, with their heads down and their minds elsewhere, Peter and John don't see the man who's carried up to the gate. And to be honest, it's a little late to begin begging. What's with this late start? You would think someone would want to get there at dawn, catch the early crowd, in addition to the afternoon bunch, double your earnings. But the man, without the use of his ankles or feet, is reliant on others to get him where he needs to go. Perhaps he waited for some people to feel sorry for him. Those sorry friends who partied a little too hard last night after the local ancient Near Eastern sports team defeated their long-standing rival, They showed up late to carry the man, regularly cart him to the city center, to Beautiful's Gate, it's called, because do they feel sorry for him? Their tardiness doesn't really matter. They weren't getting paid for their assistance. They do this out of the kindness or maybe the pity of their hearts, and they set him down with a kerplunk, probably not quite gentle, but not meaning to bump his body around, grumble a half-hearted apology, and then enter for their time of prayer so that they can celebrate to give thanks for the bets they won last night. The man, lying on the gate, unable to enter because of his disability, he is rendered unclean by society, preventing him from social interactions. The man looks for who will be his next beneficiary. Who has sympathetic eyes? Who moves without a rush? Who even dares to glance his way? It's probably going to be John, of course, the one who will later be nicknamed the beloved disciple, the compassionate hearted one who scans the crown and looks for the glimmer of hope in his fellow human beings will be the one who is singled out, I'm sure. As others pass by him, rushing to prayer, rushing to repentance, the man at the gate calls out. He's not ashamed. He's practiced asking for money every darn day. He knows, expects that he will be rejected by 80% of the people he asks, hoping, just waiting for those 20% who say yes. You have to ask in order to receive. Put yourself out there. As undignified as it might appear, this is his way of displaying his agency, his dignity to speak up for himself because the system isn't set up to care for him. The people culturally are not conditioned to care about him. So advocating for himself is one of the few ways he can exert his own limited power, getting his minimal care of needs met for his physical body. Sensing they too are in a rush to enter, the hurried man with his head bent, seeming consumed with his thoughts, he pours his attention more into the rested-looking man, John, the beloved disciple, the one who looks a little less worried, a little less lines around his eyes and mouth, and the man calls out for what he needs. Understanding that the world is not currently set up to recognize him as fully human, as a person with a personality and desires and wants and interests, that their systematized world is not built to include him, even think of him. For there was no Disabilities Act in those days. For many people, because this is his job, He is skilled enough to break them of their trance as they enter into this decorated gate, the place that excludes him and bars him from entry. And when he calls up, calls out, Peter's head snaps. 
His thoughts return to the present, the spirit swirling, the growing movement, the generous hearts of those seeking to get their lives mixed up with each other after the Jesus event. Peter is suddenly brought back into the moment, seeing the man lying outside the entrance, one who cannot, is not allowed to go uh, because of discrimination against his abilities and inabilities to participate. He realizes, Peter realizes, this man too could join, actually deserves the sharing, the spirit, the camaraderie of life lived together, knowing what the man is seeking, money, and knowing that their movement is pretty meager and has little resources, they're already sharing everything they have with one another. Peter takes a risk. He too knows the limited thing he can offer. He knows what the community can provide and no more. I can't give you money, which I know, I know would help for today. But I can offer you the event of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the involvement of others. You will be theirs and they will be yours. And I, I know it's not much, but in fact, it's kind of the whole world. It's a group of people who will see beyond the abilities of the world and avoid stigmatization and harsh categorization because they too know what it's like to be stigmatized or forced to adhere to restrictive, exclusive social norms. You will be freed from your dependence of life on your own on this mat, freed from your full self, freed to live in community. That's what I imagine Peter says actually, but he actually just says something really simple. Stand up and walk. Maybe because I want to free Peter and John of the later false interpreted Christian readings of healings, quote unquote, of those with disabilities, seeing people of different abilities as less than human, disempowered persons in need of God's intervention because their bodies, because of what their bodies are able or not able to do. I'd rather see them as beloved children of God. In ancient Near Eastern culture, people of different abilities were seen as weak. Weak ankles and weak feet translated to mean weak morals of character. That's simplistic and discriminatory reading of bodily autonomy and one's experience in the world as a differently abled person, but it cannot be denied. The man at the gate would have been judged harshly and wrongly as immoral, as asking for his defect, quote-unquote, as a failure to pray the, quote-unquote, sin away that caused this weakness. But really, this is his bodily experience, his way of seeing the world as God moves in it. What Peter and John offer him is not a lie. They know their fledgling community cannot give money regularly, but so, uh, they have so many already who are in need, so many who are left out of society for whom they advocate and care and circle in. But they recognize, they recognize a fellow freedom fighter when they see one, a fellow one who says, I'll work for the scraps because my life is worth it because I was created by God kind of person. And so they tell the truth because that's evangelism, telling the truth. The story of Jesus is honesty. We can't offer you money. We can't offer you freedom from everything that ails you from society. But we can offer you that you aren't alone. People with whom you belong, people who see you as fully formed for who you are, not weak, 
not immoral, but celebrated by God. This is what it means to walk in the way of Jesus, to not do it alone. It won't always, we can promise, be roses. Because I know you like to think our stuff doesn't stink, but it does. Getting our lives mixed up together means we'll disagree, we'll push, and we'll seek to grow. It means we'll show up when we don't want to. We're tired and we're mad when we don't have time for it. We show up because we need this. We need these people and these stories in our lives because it helps sustain us from all the CRAP of the rest of life. Because I don't know if you know, but my brain gets filled with messages of hate and harshness cramming into one ear. So I show up so that those messages get pushed out and my brain gets refilled with the stories of daily hope. Your stories of daily hope, of moments to moment life sustained joy. To see that you, that we, that us, we aren't doing it alone. That we're not weird. That We're not what others say about us because we are reminded that in community, we are beloved children of God. This is the promise Peter and John offer to the man outside the gate. It's not gonna be perfect. It's not gonna be easy. Life is not gonna be free from judgment or self-inspection, but life has more meaning when it's done together. A life with others who understand, who see the past weaknesses, hug and celebrate the current victories and continue to strive for the best for one another. You are welcome to this, they say, with an extended hand. And the man by the gate, and scholars kind of question this, like, what is the gate? Where is it? We don't know. What is, is it called beautiful? Is it the gate that's beautiful? Is it the man that's beautiful? Who is this beautiful? I, it's hard to tell from translations and the story of Greek to English, but I like to think the man's name is beautiful. And the gate is later named after him because this is how God works, changing the names of places because that is how our God works, creating beauty from ashes and dust, Right? a life no longer alone, a life where the temple doesn't exclude him because he finds God's spirit at the table with his friends. And so with an outstretched hand, he reaches hold and takes hold of this newly promised life. He takes a risk at the invitation, takes a risk to be included and to be seen The man's healing, although it appears physical in the story, the writer of the story believed to be a physician, so no wonder he includes the bodily elements of feet and ankles. This man's healing is more than physical. The strengthening also symbolizes his return, his re-entry into society. And I'm just going to tell you, for me, biblical healings are always way less about the miraculous of the physical transformation and more about the miraculous restoration to community. The people who love you just as you are when others will not. Because the beautiful man, he doesn't get up and walk. At least he doesn't get up and walk like society would want him to walk, like a manly man, walking and strutting his swagger around. No, the fabulous, beautiful man jumps up, bounces, flounces, dance, pirouettes around the temple. He is his exact self, full of pride as God created him to be, to show off for others, to see others, to try to deny. He invites their attempts to discourage him because he knows who he is, for whom he was created and to whom he belongs. And that is terrifyingly beautiful, being free.
So who, who are you in this story? This is a question I always ask when I read the Bible. Who am I? Who is Urban Village Church? Who are we? And what are we called to be? Do you remember the moment you showed up for UBC for the first time? Maybe it was a few months ago. Maybe it was a million years ago. Maybe just nine, because that's how old we are. But uh, you were probably like me. I had read the website backwards and forwards, and I still came in waiting for someone to disappoint me, waiting for the shoe to drop, not knowing if I could trust anyone, if I could believe what I had been told. I was ready for you all to be weird. So I came in and I grabbed my cup of coffee, desperate for what to do, I don't know, something to do with my hands, because somehow I forgot what to do with my hands. But I was coming, accepting the invitation to community by heaven, simply admitting that I needed and wanted community when I first moved to Chicago. Because showing up is a vulnerable act, you remember. Showing up and hoping God will show up too and that the community will live up to your expectations, their websites, promises, you know, all the things. Showing up is hard. So in our evangelism, it is important to be brutally honest about what we can offer to those people who take that step to show up, to walk through our doors, who terrifyingly hold their cup of coffee. We can say we are not a nonprofit who provides legal counsel. We're not a food pantry. We don't even have a pantry. We just barely have a thing we borrow in the back and we have to label all of our food. We are not, despite evidence to the contrary, super wealthy and God will not provide you wealth by sharing your wealth with us, I can promise. We are a community, a mashup of people from all walks of life. We are an imperfect people trying to recognize how God moves in our lives. We are a people committed to anti-racism, which means we talk about difficult conversations about race within our own lives and institutions. We can promise that kids think they belong here and they just wander around on the stage. We can promise that we do talk about money because money runs the world and we believe that actually our God runs this world. We can promise that we're United Methodists and the United Methodist Church does not look super hot right now and we're still trying to do something good. We can promise that teenagers are celebrated when they come out of the closet We can promise that all people can show up wearing heels. You will get stared at, but mostly because we all like heels. (laughs) We can promise that many of us don't understand this complex, beautiful book called the Bible, but we keep reading it together because we want to figure it out. And we can promise that we seek to partner with other organizations accountable to communities of color in service and justice because we want to make a difference in our world, because we can promise we believe that our God is not finished with us yet, because we can promise we believe God is proud of us, that God is working in and among us. We won't get it right all the time, we can promise. But we can also promise we're going to keep trying, even when we fail. We can promise we'll love you imperfectly because we need you. We are a people seeking to uplift those who have been pushed out of the center of the story 
So we read and talk about things we don't always understand, we don't always agree about it, but we try to come to a better understanding of who God is in our midst. And so we do the really hard thing. The hardest thing to do is not to show up for the first time and not to know what to do with your hands, but to show up the second time. We show up for each other because the community has shown up for us. We keep showing up trying to understand. We keep showing up, joining in membership, joining in covenant community, trying to join small groups, although Aaron keeps forgetting to reply to our emails. We show up because we wanna be available to talk and text and email because we know life is hard and we need to do it together. And so we need to be in each other's DM saying, you can do it, God is proud of you. We show up because we need someone to sit with us on Sundays. Someone doesn't say this seat is taken or you don't even have to ask is this seat taken because we all pour a little bit of money into renting this space and so all of it belongs to God, it belongs to us. We regularly, mutually pray for each other, not just here on Sunday mornings, but when we walk throughout our day because we believe that prayer changes things. That when we pray and carry each other closer to God, that's when our wink ankles grow a little bit stronger. We're honest about when we're feeling depressed, when we're struggling with addiction, when we can't hold all our thoughts together because we believe the community can hold our thoughts with us. And so we mutually share challenges and joys with each other because we're showing up even in the hard time. And so we can afford to be truthful about who we are and what we're offering because we truly believe it's good news. We're not ashamed, not ashamed that we don't have our stuff together because we truly believe that when you don't have your stuff all together, God continues to work. And we're not ashamed to be clear about who we are because we believe God is here with us and God is proud. God is proud of the work we try to do to be bold and inclusive and relevant and messy and growing and learning high heels and all. So we go out and we tell the truth by telling the truth, living as people more connected to God and then showing up again the next week to try and do it all over again. Will you pray with me? God, we know the world is filled with pain, but we also know, God, that life is filled with hope when we regularly involve ourselves in each other's lives when we take a deep breath and look for you moving in our world. You show up for us, God, and so we ask for the courage and the wisdom to show up for others. May we go out and tell the truth about who we are as a community because we know the world needs to hear some good news, the good news that we have found in you. And so we offer ourselves to you. We are your people and you are our God. It's in the name of our brother and friend who showed up for us first that we pray. Jesus, amen.